It has been such an awesome blessing to have worked with for Pastor Mel over the last year. Do you realize that in just a couple of short weeks, he will have been here for one year? And I'm so thankful that God brought him here. His strengths and the anointing of God that is on his life is second to none. So, thank you. This morning, I... I do want to welcome, first and foremost, everybody who is watching online. It's a tremendous privilege for me to be the associate minister here. I love Indiana, and I love the Summit Church. And I look forward to, despite all of the white hair a lot of years of ministry here at this church. Until God's done with me, you're stuck with me. (laughs) But this morning, I want to talk to us. I entitled my sermon, A New Beginning. Now, a lot of people, when they would be uh, thinking about that title, the the idea would be, well, it's just a standard uh, New Year's, Uh, sermon, but I'm not going to do that this morning. Even though it fits uh, with that narrative, it is not my purpose to talk about the new year, even though the new year enters the picture. But what I want to talk this morning about is everything that happens to us is another opportunity for us to have a new beginning. It doesn't matter if it's good or if it's bad. Things happen to us every day, every week, every year of our lives, and we have choices that we can make as to how we will react to those, uh, those situations, those things that happen to us, and whether we will allow them to be used for God's glory or whether we will just wallow in our pain or whether we will just complain about everything or turn our focus toward God and yet realize one more opportunity for me to make a decision for Jesus Christ and to follow him with every ounce of strength that is in my being. That's our choice. We see those choices made throughout the Bible from cover to cover, men and women alike, making a choice To say, God, whatever comes, you are my God, and you will cause all things to work together for those who are in Christ, who are called according to his purpose, and love him with all of their heart. I can tell you that from my experience, God is always faithful, even when I'm not. The unfortunate thing is way too many times I'm the unfaithful one, and I'm unfaithful, but God has never let me down. 
And as I begin this morning, I can't talk about this subject from your perspective because only you know your story. So I'm going to do what I always do, and I'm going to talk, in, talk about this new beginning from my perspective, out of my story that God has brought to pass in my life. Every one of us experiences our own situations, and uh, many of us, if not every one of us, have had close calls in our life. And what I mean by close calls is not necessarily a near-death experience, but an experience in which I could have very easily died in that in that situation rather than live. I think about driving down the road. I think about uh, times when I've been hunting and I've heard bullets whiz past. I hear them whistle past me. And if they are whistling and you can hear it, you're way closer to that thing than what you would like to be. That's happened a couple of times in my lifetime, so now I hunt way up in the air. <laughs> it's safer there. There are some times when we have close calls that are more impactful than others. And what I want to do is share with you one of those instances that happened to me. In just three days, on January 1st, 2005, is the day that it happened. None of you, or very, very, very few of you, know uh, that I have this interest and passion for antique tractors. Some of you know that. And I had purchased one, or we had, my brother and I actually owned it together. And it was a very rare machine. And so he, we, we brought it to Pennsylvania. I took the time to uh, just kind of play with it, fix it up mechanically, and uh, it didn't look real pretty yet, but it worked really, really well. And on January 1, uh, there were a group of guys that had gotten together early uh, that, that uh, New Year's Day, and we were cutting firewood. And I was using my Farmall M to drag treetops out of the woods to an open area where we could easily cut and stack the firewood. We had loaded two trucks full of, uh, uh, of firewood, and they needed to be taken out. So the logical thing on New Year's Day, because the ground is wet, is we would hook the tractor to the front of the truck for that extra poof to get it out through the damp ground. And it worked very well for the first truck. We drove it right out and got it out of there. The second one, however, uh, we started to bog down when we were right at ready to go out onto the road. In fact, the tractor was sitting on the road. 
And rather than digging a hole in the ground by just continuing to spin, we stopped. We backed the other pickup truck up to the front of my tractor, threw a chain on it, and we were going to pull the whole, you know, everything out with them in a gang. It was the biggest mistake, or almost the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. I don't know about you, uh, how many of you play with uh, laws of physics very much, but if, if you take a string and we'll pick on a tinker toy wooden block and you put it in the middle of the string and you pull on the string on both ends, what happens to that piece of wood? It lifts off of the table and it's purely suspended in midair. That's exactly what happened to that 6,500-pound tractor when we had the weight of the one pickup truck loaded with firewood pulling with the other one loaded with firewood sitting on the road. Needless to say, the tractor rolled over upside down, perfectly upside down. I was under it. If you look at statistics, and even though Cheryl was a little miffed at me, She wasn't really mad, mad, but just miffed. We were supposed to leave to go to her dad's for New Year's, and I was late coming in from the woods, so I come strolling into the house, and she is reminding me very patiently that I'm late. And I said, I would have been here. I was on my way, but I rolled the tractor over. And and it, she didn't say it, but I kind of got the indication, it doesn't matter what happened, you are late. <laughs> and at the time, what I told her hadn't sunk in until we went out to the garage and she saw the whole top of the tractor smashed down to the motor. And then later on, she got on the internet and began to look at what are the statistics for tractor rollovers. Approximately 90% of tractor rollovers are instant death. There's no second chances. There's 8% that are severely injured, and most of the time paralyzed for the rest of their life. Two percent get up and walk away. I got up and walked away. I don't have to tell you that when I step back and consider the margin of error. Because I, later on, 
went and looked at what the margin of error really was. I was laying on the ground watching three and a quarter tons come down over top of me. I, could, I can still see it in my mind's eye. And when it was all done, the seat of the tractor was laying right here on my shoulder. That is the only thing that was ever touched by the tractor. The distance between the seat and the back wheel, which was right beside my head, still spinning because the tractor was running. That distance is about 18 inches. My shoulders are at least 20 inches apart, across. There wasn't even enough room for me to fit in between there, but somehow I ended up down there six inches either way, and I would have been dead. I landed in the exact perfect spot on my back that I could have possibly landed and have that tractor roll over and virtually miss me. And when I think about that margin of error, it humbles me to think that God saved my life. Some people would say, you were just lucky. It was not luck. I don't believe in luck. It had nothing whatsoever to do with it. It was the provident hand of God that guided my body to the exact perfect spot which that tractor could come down and not kill me. Two months later, there was another minister in a town about 15 miles away from where we lived who was instantly killed in a tractor rollover. And I don't have to tell you that it had a huge impact in my life because he was young. He had two or three small children and, and his wife that he was taking care of and, and responsible for. And every day for several weeks, I couldn't help but ask God, why me? Why didn't I die and he live? He had his family to live for. It's not that I wanted to die. And I had to finally come to the conclusion that God wasn't done with me yet. There were things, there were people that he needed me to love and to impact in life before I left this earth and came back, came to heaven to be with my father because that's my destiny. I am not afraid to die. Not looking forward to it this afternoon. But I'm not afraid. 
And then another question that I kept asking myself over and over again, and we all ask ourselves this question from time to time, am I really accomplishing everything with my life that God put me here to do? Am I? Is there anything more that I could do as a believer, as a minister for the kingdom of God? Every one of us has to admit, yes, there is more that I could do. But obviously, because we are here, we are doing what God requires and God protects us. God is a God of protection. He watches over his own. I want to kind of touch on two things this morning. Number one is that whole subject of God's protection for his own. Because there are many times in our lives when things happen to us, we question whether God is protecting us or whether he isn't. At least long enough until we come to the realization that how much worse could it have been? Because 99.999% of the time, things could have been worse than what they were. God is a God of protection. It reminded me of this story about Hezekiah. I was looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 32. I want to look first at, at um, verses, I just want to read verses 20 and 21 real quick. Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and God prospered him. Now, when the Bible uses the word prospered, it doesn't mean purely money, even though that's where our brain first goes to. God prospered his life. God gave him purpose. God gave him ability to serve the kingdom of God, to lead the people of God. That's what his purpose was. That's what God had put him here to do. And his heart was one toward that purpose. And that's exactly what Hezekiah did with his life. I just wanted you to see what kind of a man he was. All of the kings of Israel weren't necessarily that devoted to their work here on this earth for the sake of God. More of them were jerks and idiots. And the furthest thing from what you would want to ever follow after, there were just a handful who were servants of God. There's a gentleman 
If you go back and read uh, the past chapter, his name is Sennacherib, and he was the king of the Assyrians and the leader of their army. The, he, his whole purpose in life was to rule the world. He didn't care about anybody else. He only cared about him and his power. The Assyrians were the enemies of Egypt. And just like all of the other enemies of Israel... They hated him with a passion, just like today. And they would have just as leave killed every one of them as look at them. I, I don't know about you. I see that even true today. Israel was the only nation that stood in the way of them ruling the world. Now stop and think about that statement. There is one whose purpose is to rule all of the universe, all of the earth, all of everything that, is, that belongs to God the Father, and he is the enemy. And there are people, you and myself, who are standing in his way. And don't you ever be deceived into thinking that he's okay with you. He hates you. He hates you with a passion. He would just as leave see you dead rather than alive because you have no way to stop him if you're dead. But the longer we live on this earth, the more we get in his way and the more we stand in, his ability, in the way of his ability to rule the earth. He can't just get rid of us. Everybody thinks that he's so powerful and we're talking about the devil. He is not powerful. He only goes around looking like, sounding like a roaring lion. He isn't even, he doesn't even make a good little kitten. There's a, a verse that just came to my mind. I can't tell you what the address is, but it, I think it's in Isaiah. And it says, we are going to look on him someday, and our response is going to be, that's what caused me so much trouble. He is a joke, but yet he convinces us that we're the joke. But we serve a God who is a God of protection and power. I surely hope that you realize that he is your enemy. 
Who do you think you would be today if it weren't for God? I wouldn't be anything. God called me. God purposed me. God empowered me. And God is the one who has prospered me. Not me. We have a tendency to look at Billy Graham. We have a tendency to look at Pastor Mel. We have a tendency to look at all of the religious leaders in our lives and assume that they had a part to play in who they are. The only part Pastor Mel had in becoming who he is is he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and God has done the rest. I'm no different than that. The devil, I wrote this down, I don't want to forget to say it. The devil wants you dead. God wants you alive. So that we can accomplish what he's called us to do. You have a purpose for being here. And it is a God-given purpose. You know what? King David stood before the lion and the bear. He stood before Goliath, not because he trusted in his strength and his cunning and his ability, but he stood there because he trusted in God's ability to protect him and defeat his enemies and make him prosperous. Hezekiah is a grandson, great-great-grandson of David. Maybe it's three. Don't think for a second he hasn't heard of the faithfulness of God to King David because he has. When did God take up the protection for Hezekiah and all of Judah. If you would just look at Second um, at, at, uh, Chronicles 32 at verse 20 and 21. It says, But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed about this and cried out to heaven. Now just create a picture in your mind of the armies of Sennacherib, hundreds of thousands of soldiers surrounding Jerusalem. In every direction that Hezekiah looked, all he saw was the armies of Assyria. And there was this note 
that had come flying over the, ro- the wall connected to a rock for Hezekiah to read. And when he read it, Sennacherib said, by this time tomorrow, I will have destroyed, utterly destroyed everything that is Israel. This city, everything I will destroy. Can you imagine receiving that kind of a note and seeing all of that. But the cool thing about Hezekiah is he wasn't moved by that note. He went and got with Isaiah. They went before God together. Verse 21 says, And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, every commander, every officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land. And when he had entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him with the sword. He went home in utter shame and utter defeat. And it happened when Hezekiah and Isaiah went before the Lord in prayer. My suggestion to you is to start your day out in prayer. Petitioning God for His hand of protection to be around you. God wants to surround you. Your name is inscribed on the palms of His hands. Every time He looks at the hand of Jesus Christ, He sees your name written on that hand. It's a constant reminder that you are his son. You are his daughter in Christ Jesus. Do you think that God isn't going to be on your side? I'll just say this much. You can do whatever you want to do to me. You can say anything that you want to say to me. And I'll, I'll just step back and take it 99% of the time. But there is 1%. But don't you ever dare say anything about my wife or my son or do one thing to them because you'll have to deal with me. I'm just a simple man. If I have that level of, uh, uh, of desire to protect and, and to take care of my own, how much more do you think that the God of all of the universe who has tattooed your name on the palm of his son's hands, how, do you not think that he is on your side and that he is ready and willing to protect you from everything? Our battle's not against him. Our battle's not even against people. Our battle is against principalities and powers in high places. They asked God for protection. And the cool thing is, God answered. 
This is not something that Hezekiah just started at the spur of the moment. He didn't just see the rock fly over the wall and say, oh, well, we better go pray. Hezekiah spent time with God, following him, knowing him, knowing his law, practicing his law, encouraging the people of Judah to walk with God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was a lifestyle for Hezekiah. The day I got up from underneath that tractor, I had a more purposed lifestyle than I did just a few minutes earlier. It took me three years to get to the point where I didn't dream that all over again at night and just be sitting in the chair somewhere or at my desk or wherever I was at and all of a sudden the vision of that tractor rolling over on top of me it took a long time to the, get to the point where I didn't think about that anymore and I can talk about it today and it has no effect on me because my trust is in God not in me it's not even in all the safety devices that they put on. So that brings me to this point. Decision time. How long when will we make the decision that changes everything in our lives. When I was growing up, I got to I always remember thinking, well, when I'm taking my last breath, I'll make sure that I cover everything with God and make everything right, get born again, make sure that I'm good with him. And then, boom, I'll die and go to heaven. And believe me, I don't discount the fact that if that were to happen with you or with anybody, they would go to heaven. God is instant on the spot. And if you confess Jesus as your Savior, he is instantly faithful to make you his child. You could die 10 seconds later and you would still go to heaven. I, I, I'm a firm believer in that. But just like almost everybody else, I, I always felt like, well, there'll be a few seconds, maybe a couple of minutes, and I can get that stuff all taken care of before I die. I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't even have enough time in a situation like that, that that thought even crosses your mind. 
There are so many things happening at that instant that the tractor is rolling over or another car or a truck is hurtling toward you. Whatever the danger is that you're in, your mind is focused on what's going on around you, not on what I need to do to be ready for heaven. That thought never even crossed my mind. I didn't have enough time to ask God to forgive me. I didn't have enough time to repent. I didn't even have enough time. Now this may sound funny to you, but I didn't even have enough time to fear dying. The thought of dying never went through my mind. You would think that would be the first thing. It wasn't. It went through my mind afterwards. I made the decision when I was 16 years old to make Jesus Christ my Savior. It was settled from that day forward. I didn't even have to think about it. And that's what God wants for every one of us. The only thing that I had time to do was to live or die at that instant. It's that simple. I say all of that to say this. Don't fiddle around with eternity. God wants to settle it now. Because once that issue is settled and we're a child of God, everything that happens to us is a new beginning. Because we have experienced the beginning of beginnings. And we're alive in Christ Jesus. I just encourage you, don't be deceived into thinking that you have time. You very well may not. God spared me because I know that I had more to do. I'm here. I'd have never been here if God hadn't spared me. I wouldn't have known you till we get to heaven. But I made that decision years ago. In verse 32 of 2 Chronicles 32, 32, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his deeds of devotion, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. His decision 
was made a long time ago. Puts me in mind of a scripture in 2 Corinthians. It's in chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, For he says, At the acceptable time, I listened to you. God's listening to you 24 7, 365 days of the year for your entire life. God is listening to you. He's just waiting for you to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and make him your Lord and your Savior. At the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God doesn't want us to wait. He wants us to enjoy everything that he is from this moment forward forever. He loves you that much. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do thank you for your presence in this place, for your presence in our lives, and we thank you that you listen and you hear. If you're here this morning and you know that this is a decision that you need to make, asking Jesus to come into your heart because you'll never have to worry about any moment from here on out about where your destination will be. If you're here this morning and you know you need to make that decision, would you just slip your hand up? We want to pray for you. If you're watching online, I see that hand. You can put it down. If you're watching online and you know that you need to make that decision also, we just encourage you to contact us and let us know that you made that decision. Anyone else? I see that hand. Anyone else? Would you repeat this prayer after me? Father God, I come before you today and I lay my life down. I ask you to come to take up residence within me and empower me to be yours from this day forward and forever. Amen. Amen.